Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest Mark Leverage podcast, this one dated August 2019. Really appreciate you tuning in, as it were, to listen. And I hope you're going to enjoy the things that I've got sorted out for this time. Of course, last month was slightly different. It was a podcast gold edition in which I selected half a dozen of my favourite topics from the previous 12 months and put them together for your either for you to hear again or if you're new to the podcast, I think actually it's quite a good place to start because it's a way of seeing what it's like and seeing the type of topics that I tend to cover. So if you didn't listen to that, go back and listen to it again because it will probably, uh, hopefully you'll find it quite interesting. And if it, you did listen to it and it was the first time, welcome back this time because this is the more normal podcast where I take a number of different topics and have a chat with you about them. So we're going to start this time by talking about performance risk and what levels of performance risk you as an entertainer are prepared to take. This was kind of brought to the forefront of my mind recently because I had a plot in mind of a trick that I wanted to find a solution to. And as is often the case with this, there are so many different possibilities. Obviously, I've got quite a, a lot of methods in my head, a lot of principles. And, and so sometimes it can be a question of just selecting the ones that feel right any of them would do to create the illusion or the effect that I want to do. But there are different ways to come at it and different compromises perhaps to be made. And this is where the performance risk uh, sort of factor, if you like, kicked in. Because I had two or three different methods. And one of the methods was much more difficult technically than the other two. And I was weighing up the pros and cons. And I found myself veering away if you like from the more difficult option and going for the safer more pragmatic versions that I'd also come up with and that led me to think well okay so it's I'm going to make it easier for myself to do this trick but of course there are always compromises to be made and so am I in fact reducing the impact of the trick because I've gone for a safer option and that led me to think generally about well, is that always true? If you have a trick and you have more than one method and one is technically more difficult than the other, what would you do? Do you tend to gravitate to the more technically um, sort of challenging version? Because you think, well, if it's technically challenging, less people will do it if anybody's trying to copy it. But also it might produce a cleaner, more magical effect. Whereas in order to do a much simpler version, then maybe there are compromises that reduce the value of the actual magic itself. I mean, an example might be if you don't want to do a card to wallet and you're trying to decide whether to palm and load it, which is the technically more difficult, and has more risk involved if you were to be caught with a card palmed in your hand. Or are you going to go for one of the no palm card to wallets where you have to open the wallet at some point and either put something in or extract something out and that in the process of doing that, you secretly load the cars sort of slightly more in full view. Well, the technically more challenging version where you palm it and put it straight in is quicker. And in many ways, you could say is more effective. Certainly um, for a lot of plots, it gives you more flexibility because rather than being hamstrung by the need to take something out of the wallet first, it means you can do whatever presentation you like and at the vital moment simply palm the card, go straight into the wallet, bring out the wallet having loaded the card and show it's inside. But you might think to yourself, well, yeah, but 
it's all really well, but I can palm a car, but what if I get caught? Sometimes where I perform, it's not, the angle's really not very good. So therefore to go down the palming route is too dangerous. It's, it's not a risk I'm prepared to take. And so therefore I will accept the compromises that using a no palm car to what it brings with it. So you see what I mean? There, there are there are things that you have to consider, aren't there? If you have sleight of hand that you want to use, immediately you need to start thinking about where am I going to use it and can I get away with it? And I've always had this this thought in my head that I think when we're performing and we're under a certain amount of performance stress, you know, you you no matter how confident you are, there is always the chance that you'll make a mess of something, particularly if it's technically difficult. If it's the end of a long night, if the angles are suddenly not quite what they were when you started the trick and suddenly they become disadvantageous. There can be all sorts of things that change in a performance to make the technical move you're about to do more risky than it might otherwise have been. And I've always felt that it's better if you have, let's say you have a slight that you are not 100% confident with. Let's say you're only 90% confident. Under a lot of circumstances, you think, ah, that's enough. I'm going to go for it. I know I can do this. But there are other situations you think, well, no, I'm not going to do this because the risks now suddenly seems too high and I don't have enough comfort zone within my skill set in order to get away with this slight if the conditions are not perfect and so therefore you go for the safer option so my my thought really i suppose was if you go for simple methods does that mean that you are going to produce blander magic if you use gimmicks instead of slights although it might be easier is does that produce magic that's not so effective I mean, I'm, I'm throwing, this is a rhetorical question, I'm throwing this out there. I th- it probably varies depending on the, the type of gimmick, because with some gimmicks, of course, you're left dirty at the end because a gimmick's been used with sleight of hand. Once the moment of the actual slight is gone, it may be the, using ordinary objects, and so therefore it's purer. So yeah, there's a lot of things just to weigh up the pros and cons, aren't there? So have you ever thought about that? Have you ever looked at the tricks that you do and think, do you know, I am risk averse. That's why my methods tend to be simple and more bulletproof. But am I actually, as a result of that, doing magic that's not as strong? Now, as many of you are probably aware, as well as doing this monthly audio podcast, I also do a written blog column. It's called Chatter. And in fact, I did the very first one way back in September 1992, I know I can't believe it either. And I've done one every single month without fail since then. And I happen to be looking back over some of them recently. And I came across a particular article, which was from April uh, 1995. And just to put this into a bit of context here, the situation with uh, the Internet was it was very fresh and very new. The Internet first, uh, you may not realise this, but the Internet didn't be, didn't become available to the, the general public. It had been available to academics and other important people before this, right from the 70s, in fact. But the World Wide Web, as we know it, didn't really come into being until 1991. So this was being written three or four years after it was starting to have an impact on our everyday lives. And the particular chatter article the blog article was one in which i was looking at how uh, we would find out information about magic items to buy 
in the future, the future of, of starting from April 1995, of course, and um, what it might be like. Now, bearing in mind that, that I had no real idea, I was just sort of imagining, this is what I said. I said, I suppose books will continue to be produced, certainly for the foreseeable future, but as technology continues to develop, so magic will be made available in other formats too. Notebook computers are already starting to be supplied with CD-ROM drives in them, and so in theory, if magic books were made available on CD, you could carry your entire library around with you. So the next time you needed to remind yourself of a particular trick or move, you'd be able to instantly locate it on your computer. As handheld computers or sub-notebooks become commonplace, it'll become increasingly practical for most people to carry one. And already Sony are pioneering mini CD-ROM discs, which will have greater capacity for storage than anything currently available. If everybody ends up with something like this, it will mean magic dealers will probably supply you with a catalogue disc instead of a paper catalogue. This disc will have a database so that you can type in an actual trick name and the details of the effect with its current price etc. will be displayed on the screen. There will probably also be a video sequence which you can call up which shows the trick being demonstrated. If you're not sure what the trick is called, you'll be able to enter a trick type, for, for instance mentalism or stage magic, and then choose the relevant item from a menu showing everything in the disc catalogue under that category. Then, when you've made your choice, you'll be able to connect the computer's modem to your mobile phone and send an electronic order to the dealer, all the details of the product and your personal details being instantly downloaded to the dealer's computer where the order will sit ready to be processed when the dealer comes to work. So that's what I wrote back in 1995. And I was amazed because, although looking at it, you think, well, yes, OK, so that's basically not quite what happened, but certainly that was as it could be foreseen at that point, it was fairly accurate. And I thought, wow, that's that's quite spooky, really. And that led me to think, well, OK, so what's going to happen in the future from now? I wonder what things, how magic will be bought in the future. For instance, 3D printers uh, are becoming more commonplace. So are some of the props, and they may already be, but I'm not aware of any, but are we going to be expected to print some of our physical props? You know, you'll get the item from, you'll buy an item from the dealer, it'll send it to your to your 3D printer and it'll print the gizmo that you need to do the trick. Instructions, at the moment they're online, will we end up with hologram instructions, sort of 3D visual representations of the move so we can see it from any angle and things like that. Could be possible, couldn't it? So it's all this sort of thing. How will magic go in the future? How will it be bought? What will we be doing in a few years' time? And uh, I think it's absolutely fascinating because technology is moving on all the time, of course. And magic tends to be usually a fairly early adopter of new ideas. We're not necessarily completely cutting edge because certainly if you're selling magic to the general population, then... If, for instance, in the days when I, I held back on putting video on my website for quite a while, because at the time people had dial-up dial modems and the speeds just, in a lot of cases, just were not quick enough to play the video accurately or properly. It had a lot of buffering and a lot of problems. And I thought, well, actually, that's going to cause more problems than it's worth. So I'll wait until speeds get quicker. And, of course, eventually they did. And when broadband came along and became commonplace that from that point onwards although it's not perfect it's a much better system and it enabled me to put video dems of a lot of my tricks 
So I think in the future, we will we're obviously going to find other technologies maybe coming along that we can't even imagine at the moment that will mean that we will be able to access ideas and sell ideas to magicians all over the world in ways that at the moment we can hardly even imagine. Now, those of you who have an interest in Mark Leverage magic, and I know there are one or two of you out there and who keep an eye on what I'm up to and what things are being released and so on, will possibly have noticed that uh, in this year, this calendar year, I've not released any new material. There's been new material on eClub Pro, of course, there's new routines on there every month. But as standalone saleable items, I've not had anything new since the turn of the year. And uh, there is a reason for this. And the reason is that I've been a bit preoccupied. Now, I've mentioned already uh, two or three times the fact that I've got a new website coming. And we've now finally reached the point where I'm hoping it's going to launch towards the end of this month. I first started this process back in July of last year. And although the actual development of the site in technical terms, uh, initially anyway, made quick progress, it gradually got slower as we realised that the com there were some complexities of my site that needed addressing and that we needed to try and get it exactly right. The site is going to be very much centred on eClub, that's eClub Lite, eClub Pro and eClub Elite. And so this creates a certain difference from the original website and it's, it's more technically demanding of the software. Not only that, but of course, I needed to transfer, and it was me personally doing most of this, I had to transfer all the files from the old site over to the new site, so that once the new site obviously goes live, all the stuff that you would expect to find there will be there. Well, eClub Pro has got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of individual pages of content, many of which are video. So therefore, I've had to manually transfer all of this material into the new format and make sure that it all works. And at the same time as I was doing all of this, and this I have to do in my kind of in my spare time, because the old site, which is still the current site as I'm speaking now, that one, I couldn't just leave that one. That one's had to be kept up to date and all the new material put onto there. So I'm, I was having to work on that one. And then when I had any time left, go over and start carrying on the process of updating the stuff onto the new site. So this is why it's it's taken so long. It, it's taken a lot long. I thought five or six months, the job will be done. And here we are 13 months in and it looks like it's just about going to be ready. I'm very excited about it. Uh, I hope that when it launches at the end of this month, you'll go and have a look and that you'll like it. it. It is very different, a complete departure from what I had previously. And as I say the emphasis has gone more onto the eClub Pro side than it is on the general selling. Well, you can still buy things, of course, without being a member, but it is much more eClub Pro centric. And because that is where the bulk of my attention these days is going and where my creativity is being funneled. So all those things have needed to go on while I've, as I say, while I'm trying to juggle everything else. And it's it's been fun. Uh, it's been a process I've actually quite enjoyed because it's given me the opportunity to look at the stuff. And it makes me realise just how much material is contained 
on the e-club part of the the members only part it's an incredible volume i mean i always knew there was lots of stuff there when you start to look at individual things as you're doing them one by one and transferring them across it does make me realize just how much material is there to be accessed by members and i'm very proud of this body of work it's it's been nearly a decade now in the making and it will continue on into the foreseeable future as well and so I, I think it's it's something that I'm really, really pleased that I started. And once the new website is up and running, and obviously there may be a few glitches, there may be a few wrong links and so on and so forth. Uh, there'll, be, there'll be a few teething problems, I'm sure, but hopefully the bulk of it will be there. And when people get used to how to use it and the way that it works, hopefully then people will really enjoy the new format. So that's going to be later this month, the launch of the new Mark Leverage website. Earlier on today I was out doing a 45 minute talk for an institution called the Amber Foundation. This is a special charitable organisation which has a venue in which they take in uh, teenagers who are at risk. These teenagers may have personal problems, they may have mental health issues, they may have Uh, addictions that they're trying to recover from and the Amber Foundation does fantastic work in helping these kids to get their lives straight to go out and get jobs and to get back into a more normal existence and I met the chief fundraiser for this organization at a business network lunch I happened to be sitting on the same table as the lady and we were discussing it all and she said oh yeah she said we um we like to get talks from various people in various walks of life and they come in and they talk to the kids about what they've done in their lives and I said oh well actually I do a magic talk would you like me to come and do mine for many years I've been doing a 45 to a minute to an hour talk on how I became a full-time professional magician particularly with emphasis on the early years and, and leading up to going pro in my mid-20s my particularly my teenage years and the various things that happened that kind of eventually helped me to become a full-time magician and the, and the idea is that the talk obviously it's interspersed with magic as well which makes it palatable to young people anyway but it's it's kind of a nice thing to do because it's meant to be a life-affirming inspirational thing you know if you have a dream it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to think it's only a dream it can turn into reality if you're lucky enough or if you do the right things and so on and so forth so it's it's that type of talk so she thought it'd be great so I went along and did it and it went very well it was good fun so that was great but as I was driving home from that this afternoon it it did lead me to realize how wonderful magic is in the way that it can be twisted and turned and morphed into different types of thing to help in different ways I mean this was an inspirational talk but then you think about magic that's used for instance to help people recover from major illnesses project magic uh, and things like David Copperfield's thing and things like that where you're using magic for people to relearn motor skills that they've lost because they've had a stroke or something of that nature You think of the way um, magic is used, for instance, just in hospitals to go in and cheer up patients who have long-term illnesses or maybe even life-threatening illnesses. And you see this in children's wards, don't you, Um, where the children have some form of cancer. Uh, And magicians will go in and brighten for a short while the lives of these people and sometimes can make a real difference to these people's mental attitude 
and also obviously looking at business inspirational talks for business a lot of people do this don't they they will take a theme and you think of trade shows for instance take a product or a theme and use magic to illustrate it and to reinforce the points that the company wants to make magic's fantastic for doing that as well and magic's also great because it creates helps to create lifelong friendships when i think of the people that i've met and been fortunate enough to meet uh, who are also equally interested in magic as I am. And the thing that even when we haven't seen each other for a while, the common thread that we always have is our passionate interest in magic. And as soon as we get back together again, magic comes out. It's a common interest. We have plenty to talk about. It's a wonderful way to, to keep the relationships going in a way that you need this, don't we? We all need something. If The relationships with you and your friends has to be based on something. It might be on a sports team or a sporting interest or something like that. Well, of course, magicians have a very close bond often because of magic and the constant development of magic and all the new ideas. There's always something new to talk about. So magic is amazing. I, I don't know. I can't think off the top of my head of of anything else that is quite so versatile that can be turned to do good in so many different ways. And because magic, by the, its very nature, is to most people something interesting and something that they want to watch, you're already getting people's interest just by the fact that there's magic involved. And then when you tack on, in a skillful way, a story or a message or whatever it might be, then the whole thing can blend into a very effective piece of propaganda or information and have a real tangible benefit to the people who are listening. They both enjoy it and they get to learn something. And magic is uh, absolutely brilliant for doing both of those things. When considering a method for any given trick, do you think it's right that we magicians should sort of play fair with the audience in terms of the method that we select. I mean, it's generally considered, isn't it, by those in the know that the effect or the impact that the effect has is everything and the method should be nothing in the sense that anything that achieves the effect that we want is fair. We should take it. We should take the easiest option, the best option, whatever gets the job done. And yet somehow I'm sure a lot of us have a reticence to take what would probably be in the, on the face of it the easiest and best option when choosing a method. For instance, you could say, well, if you're going to say to a member of the audience, I want you to think of a card, any card you like, you're thinking of the four of clubs. And they go, yes, I am. Just use a stooge. They are. Job done. Would you do it or would you find some other method? Then again, you think of all the magic that's done on TV and the credibility problems that this has, especially with lay people. Lay people say, oh, I'm really enjoying seeing you do this magic live because whenever I watch magic on television, I don't believe half of it because I think, well, it's all on TV. So magic on TV does often have, with the lay public, a credibility issue because people think, well, they could just be doing anything well, does not, to a certain extent, the same apply live. For instance, if you want to force the six of clubs, 
and you say to spread a pack and say to a spectator take a card the easiest way to do it is to have an entire deck of the six of clubs a one-way forcing deck i mean they can take any card it's very free you just take a card take it gets the job done but a lot of us wouldn't do that would we because we'd want to show the pack of cards first we'd probably even say something along the lines of as you can see the cards are all different as if this this you know shuts the door on the fact that well lots of the cards might be the same so therefore that simplistic approach of having a one-way deck may not be as effective as we think it is it's the simplest way to do it but it may not be the best way to do it but there is this kind of is there an invisible line over which we some of us are reluctant to step that we feel that we sometimes we feel well I don't like using gimmicked coins because they're gimmicks. I want to use sleight of hand and I want to use regular coins that can be examined. So the, 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 the sort of thought about this is that if things can be examined or borrowed, even better, if you borrow a finger ring, when I do my ring and string routine, I don't use my own ring. I borrow a ring. But actually, to put a ring onto a string, you, there are easier methods that use a gimmicked ring. But I don't want to go that way. I don't want to step over. That doesn't seem right to me. I want to borrow one. I think it's stronger to do that. And there's this kind of this line of saying, no, it's, I want to play fair with the audience. I want to show that I can do this with, apparently, which I probably can, any ring. And so therefore borrowing it implies that that is possible. So I think this is quite quite an interesting thought, really. Are there methods that we should perhaps use because they're the most pragmatic? But actually we don't use because it, it seems almost like cheating and that we have a certain inbuilt reticence to cheat when we can find more real methods that we feel happier to use. Every now and again I'll get somebody write to me or give me a call and want to talk about turning pro as a magician. And uh, there are some people who are quite serious about wanting to make the jump. And I think anybody considering it the very first thing they should do is to ask themselves the question of why why do I want to turn pro because I think the answer to that the true answer to why you want to turn pro could be quite revealing and may well indicate whether it's likely to be a success or not I mean there are a number of different reasons why somebody might want to turn pro one is because they're already a semi-pro performer perhaps and are doing reasonably well with bookings and they think to themselves well Quite frankly, if I could give up the day job and just do the magic, not only would it be a lot more fun, but I would be able to concentrate on getting more shows and and therefore making a proper living out of it. Or somebody might want to do it because they, they simply can't think of anything else they'd rather do. You know, well, I can't get a job anywhere else, so I'll tell you what, I know a few tricks. I'll become a magician. I'll become a full-time magician. That's a dangerous one, of course doesn't smack of a lot of planning there then there are people who are completely absorbed by the thought of being famous and they see magic as a way to fame and fortune they want to get on television they want their own show they want to be a big name a big star and for some people this is an incredible driving force and that could be another reason why they want to turn pro or it could be for other people, it could be they just simply feel it's a, a calling. They've always felt it's always something they've wanted to do. It's something that if they don't try it in their life, they're always going to regret it. So there can be a number of different reasons. And of course, making the transition from either 
a, a sort of regular paid job into being a full-time pro or from no job and just starting from scratch with magic it is not easy and especially if you don't have any financial backup you have no buffer financially because quite often with any business that starts any new business that starts often initially will struggle to make ends meet the problem is, of course, that income initially with any new business can be a bit sporadic, whereas the outgoings, the bills, are systematic. They are going to come every the mortgage and, and, and car payments and any other HP that you have and, and, and other aspects of your life, your food costs and so on and so forth, your, your energy costs. All of these things are going to be, money's going to be required for these every single month. It's no good, therefore, having a, if you have no financial backup, having a really slow month where you've done one show. Not going to pay the bills. And all you do is put yourself under stress. So you need it. You need to make sure that there is some security, almost like a security blanket before you try these things. And so there are so many, and most of these are all to do with creating a business. Whether it's magic or it's something else, creating a business from scratch is not easy. It takes a lot of thought. You need to take a lot of advice. And it's definitely, in my view, not something you should jump into quickly or too easily. So why do you want to do it? Is it a compelling reason? If so, do your research before you take the jump. Right, that's the end of the August podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the various things that we've touched on. Don't forget to look out for the launch of the new Mark Leverage Magic site later in August. And I hope to see you all back here for another dose of the podcast in September. Have a good month. Bye for now.